following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. This morning, guys, I want to talk to you about an observation. And it's an observation I had as a newer believer. Um, I came to faith at 26, and uh, you know I started to fall in love with Jesus and realized the Bible is real and it's alive, and, and that was really great. But it didn't take long, and maybe some of you share the same experience, where you realize some people seem to really have something vibrant going on in their life with God. I mean, there's something happening. There's there's some sort of abundant life going on. There's, there's fruit in their life. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Something going on. And then there were some other believers who didn't really seem to have too much going on. They seemed to be surviving instead of thriving. And I don't know about you, but when I read, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest or have it abundantly. I believe God wants us to thrive, not survive. Any of you guys believe that? I mean, I believe that's what the word says. It doesn't mean everything around you is going to go perfect. I'm not saying some profound prosperity, and that's a, but I am saying a thriving on the inside, abundant life, the power of God in you, through you, and the fruit coming out of your life, I believe is the heart of God for his people. And I think that's what the word says, and it's what I read in the word, but I noticed early on, my observation was, some people seem to have this vibrancy and this fruit in their life, and other people seem to just be coping and kind of hanging on. And I asked myself as an earlier believer, why is this? What is the difference in what's going on? I was a new believer. I started reading my Bible. And I'm, I'm trying to understand why is it that some seem to be fully getting in on the kingdom of God and others seem to kind of be hanging on there. And I really kind of made it a concerted effort to find out why some people seem to be like in the zone, you know, with God, really in the zone, and others were not really in the zone. Uh, you know what the zone is? The zone is that sweet spot. It's when things are really clicking. I don't know if any of you run or do any kind of sports, but you can be like in the zone where, hey, things are clicking. Or maybe uh, with arts or things of that nature or business where you're actually in the zone and things are just, things are just clicking really well. Um, I remember one time I was actually at the driving range, speaking of the zone, and this is a little miracle story I'm going to share with you. I'm not a good golfer. I'm a, t- I'm a terrible golfer, really. And I was out at the driving range with my friend, and uh, we're hitting a couple of buckets of balls. And I don't know what it is, but my drives usually, they might go a little far, but they're always on the other fairway, okay? They're never straight. And, uh, and I was out there this day, and uh, I don't know what it was, but I was hitting these balls, and every one of them was just sailing straight, bouncing on the ground and hitting the back fence. I couldn't believe it. Well, my friend came by and said, hey, let's go grab a Coke. And I said, no, I I can't leave my spot. (laughs) He's like, of course you can leave your spot. They're not busy. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I can't leave. Things are clicking right now like I've never seen in my life. I can't leave this spot. And and sure enough, I teed up another ball and I'm cracking these balls in there. And I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I never wanted to leave there. Well, I been, never been able to do that again, by the way, just so you know. I was ready to call the news because I think it was a legitimate miracle, okay, a bona fide. I wanted them to document this, and it was profound. But what it was, it was being in the zone. It was being in a sweet spot, and I couldn't replicate it, but there's something about being in the zone or being in the sweet spot with anything you do in life. I believe the same is true with God. Same is true with the Lord. In our faith, being in the zone, being in the sweet spot. I noticed early on in my faith, some people seem to be in this zone with God. And they seem to have this kind of fruit coming out of their life. When Jesus said, I came that you might have life 
abundantly, I'm thinking they have it abundantly. And others seem to be hanging on and they weren't in the zone or the sweet spot. I'm thinking, what is it and why is it? I want to know. On my quest to discover what the difference was, this is my own observation, I I came across a passage in John chapter 15. And we're looking at that today if you want to open your Bibles there. And to me, this is a passage where Jesus cracks the code. Jesus lays it wide open. He busts it completely wide open. And he's basically, this is a passage that explains how you and I can not only be in the zone, but to stay in the zone when it comes to the fruit of God and the beautiful thing God wants to do through you to come out of you and bear fruit in a way that is very observable that you and I can't do on our own. And there's some folks trying real, real hard to do things on their own and nothing's happening. But what we're seeing in this passage is Jesus says, look, I'm going to tell you what it is and it's a secret. It's the secret of the vine. And there is a secret of the vine that I'm about to share today. It revolutionized my life because the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. There's profound revelation in his word. And in this passage here, Jesus explains what this abundant life looks like and how it all happens. If you're a note taker, there's a place in the bulletin. You might want to jot a few of these down. John chapter 15 And uh, Jesus starts out, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He starts out with a relationship between the parties, if you will. The father is the gardener. Now, the gardener, by his very design, wants fruit. That's why a gardener gardens, because he wants fruit. That's his whole purpose. I would suggest to you in the beginning that God, our Father, is in the business or the ministry of cultivating people like you and I. There's a cultivation process going on where people are in the faith, but now that they're in the faith, God wants to cultivate so profound things come out of. This is the point here. There's a cultivation process I observed early on, and it's what it's talking about here. The Father wants to cultivate And the thing about our father, he's not your average gardener. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have a gardener. I'm sure some of you do. And gardeners vary on how they do their gardening. Um, The guy we have does the mow and blow. Um, The heavenly father, he's not that kind of gardener. In fact, he's a a really amazing gardener. I remember uh, our gardener came one year, and it was a devastating sight. Christy and I were looking in the backyard, and we almost cried. Um, the rose bushes that used to look so great, I think they took a chainsaw and just plowed them all down one big swoop. And you get out there and you're like, unbelievable. These poor things. I mean, we were almost in tears. We were ready to, you know, prayer and stand in the gap and fight and pray for a miracle that they'd come back again because these things look gone forever. On a good note, our father doesn't use the chainsaw method like that. He doesn't prune that way. Gardeners are different. The Heavenly Father, the way He prunes, is very carefully, very purposefully, and He knows exactly what He's doing as the gardener. And the thing about pruning, if any of you guys know, some of you may know about plants, pruning. Pruning is really cutting back. You do cut back the plant. And the reason you cut back the plant is for two reasons. The first reason is the roots grow way deeper. When you cut back what's on the surface, the roots go down and out, and they're capable of pulling in a whole nother 
volume of nutrients that the plant wouldn't normally have. So that's the first reason you, you trim. And the other one is that it actually grows back stronger and better. And it says in the passage that if there's areas on the vine, vine and the branches, if there's areas that don't have fruit on them, the father cuts them off. It's interesting. He cuts them off. Um, there's things on a plant they call dead wood. I know we have an orange tree in the back and there's, every once in a while there's a branch that's it's just dead. I don't know why it went dead. It doesn't grow anything. And it actually takes life away from the plant. It's not good for the plant. So you cut off the dead wood and the rest of the plant thrives. It's the same with this analogy of you and I bearing fruit. Uh, some things, it says, bear no fruit. They just have to get cut off and go away. The Bible tells us in our life that everything is permissible but not necessarily beneficial. There are things in our life that are they're okay. They're maybe not bad or evil, but they're really not constructive. They're really not productive. They're really not bearing any fruit, nor will they ever. So the Father knows best, and He will come along, and He will cut off some areas that don't bear fruit. But, listen to this, the areas that do bear fruit, you and I don't want those touched. We don't want those touched. But the Father says, I have to prune this area anyway because I want it to bear more fruit. And you're thinking, do you have to do that? Because here's the deal, guys. The Father wants more fruit, but we don't want to be pruned, right? We don't want to be pruned. You ever feel like you've been pruned? Sometimes you feel like you're kind of a stub. You know what I mean? God's kind of chopping some things off in your life. No, no one likes being pruned. No one enjoys the process of being pruned. No one does. No one rejoices while they're getting pruned. But the reality is the father knows exactly what he's doing. He knows where he's pruning and why. And it's because he has your best in mind. He really wants the maximum amount of fruit coming out of your life. And that's why he's doing it. And so understand that about the vine. And sometimes when we are pruned, we don't feel like there's going to be some fruit coming. We feel pruned and we don't feel we're in a season where we're like where's the fruit in my life where's all the green stuff where's the fruit where's the sweet things and maybe god's got you pruned and in that season it doesn't necessarily look like it will ever come back kind of like our roses they didn't look like they were going to come back you may feel like that in your life but believe me while that's happening things are going deeper and they're going wider and things are going to come back in a beautiful way the father has your best in mind If you're a note taker today, the first thing about this process that I think we need to understand as believers is that pruning is not punishment. It's God's promise of greater things to come. It's not punishment. Most people do think it's punishment. I don't know why God is doing this. I don't know why this is happening to me, especially when it was an area where there was already fruit. Now, if it's an area where there wasn't fruit, you kind of understand. I realize God's kind of taken some things away and you know, it's probably for my benefit. But when there's areas in your life that are bearing fruit and they get pruned and cut back, we don't understand. We might think we're being punished. It's not punishment, guys. It's actually God's promise of greater things to come. The roots will go deeper. They will go wider. There will be more fruit on the other side. And so that's an important one. Um, Jesus says not only is he the vine, he's the true vine. And the reason he's saying that is because the vine represents the source of life. And there are a lot of counterfeits. There are a lot of counterfeits. In our day and age, there's a lot of people and things that try to 
offer an alternative of what the source of life is and where we come from and what our design is and what fulfillment is. There's all sorts of ideas out there. And Jesus is like, be careful. There's a lot of counterfeits out there. He's like, I am the real vine. I'm the true vine. And it goes on in verse 3 and it says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He starts out by saying that we're clean by the word. What he's saying is what I've shared with you, the truth, the gospel, that's what cleans people. Everyone's got a a sin condition, and the Word offers the, the way to be cleansed, the way to be free, the way to have a new beginning. Just like a plant could either be clean or diseased, Jesus is saying the Word cleanses you. That's, that's a true statement. But listen what he says right here. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I don't know if you guys are catching that, But the word remain in this passage comes up 11 times, comes up 11 times in 11 verses. Some of your translations may say abide, abide in me and I will abide in you. Others say remain in me and I will remain in you. Let me just tell you this whole thing, this observation that I had early on about those that seem to have the fruit and be in the zone with God and the abundant life and those who didn't, you know what I discovered? It all hinges on one thing. It hinges on this word. This simple word is profound. Everybody say remain. Remain. Say abide. abide. If you make it your life mission to understand what this means and how to live it out, that's the key right there, guys. That is the one exclusive key to the kingdom of God. Once you make a decision to follow Christ and enter into the kingdom, this is the key in which everything hinges, all the fruit in your life or lack thereof. This is enormous hinges on this word, on this principle of abiding. And that's our second point this morning, is that abiding is the key to the abundant life. It is the absolute key. There is so much going on. When I discovered that, I ended up making it my mission to try to understand what is abiding and what is not abiding and how do I abide, but at least I discovered the answer The answer is in learning how to abide because when you're in this place, great stuff happens and when you're not, can't bear fruit by definition. And so Jesus being the source of life is essentially saying this. He's saying, if you want life to flow out of you, you do your part and I will do my part. That's basically what he's saying. He's like, abide, remain. Some ways of putting this is stay with me. Jesus is saying, will you simply stay with me through your day. Can can you stay with me? Can you not go ahead of me? Can you not lag behind me? Can you just walk with me through the day? Some of the terms are walking in the Spirit or according to the Spirit. And, and, And Jesus is saying basically in this passage, to remain in me, to abide in me, is to stay with me. Don't stampede ahead of me and don't lag way behind because if you walk with me through your day, you're in the zone. You're in the sweet spot. You're in the place where things can flow out of your life. And that's why I think it makes a great argument for morning devotions. I know we get in a busy in LA, we get up in the morning, we shower, we grab our latte or whatever the case, we hit the road, deal with traffic, get to the job, whatever the case is. Let me tell you, if we're willing to start our day with Jesus, we can abide with him through the day. It's really hard to abide 
and remain if we didn't even start with our morning. Amen? I mean, that's, that's just kind of a big deal. You know, if, if we lunchtime, we realize we're out in left field and we need to start abiding, it's a little late start. Or before we're ready to go to bed, a little bit of a late start. But if we start our morning with the living God and we start, you know, maybe get out of bed and get right on your knees. If you start your day saying, I want to abide in you, I want to remain in you, will you teach me? Will you show me how? This is where it begins. But abiding, stay with me, walk with me, stay close and communicate with me. He is not saying abide in your own understanding. He's not saying abide or remain in your own feelings. He's not saying that. Because folks will abide in their understanding. They will remain in their feelings all day, all week. And those ones are the ones, I think, that are just kind of hanging on in the kingdom. Those are the ones that aren't bearing a lot of fruit and they wonder why. Because they're abiding in their own understanding, their own feelings, instead of abiding in Jesus. Because that is the source of life. That is the place. That is the zone. The living translation says, live in me and let me live in you, quite simply. It's something we have to allow. And I would suggest daily. See, there is a day in your life, hopefully, where you acknowledge the Lord. There was a day in your life where you accepted the Lord. But do we choose to remain in him every day? That's a whole other story because that's the zone. That is the sweet spot. That is the place from which all the fruit is manifest in our life and through us. Um, sometimes we think, well, you know, it would be easier to abide in him if I didn't have such a crazy lifestyle. If I didn't live in LA with the traffic and the job and the demands of life, it'd be a lot easier to abide if things were not so crazy and busy some of the times. Uh, true story of a pitcher for the LA Dodgers, some of you baseball fans may know, Oral Hershiser. He was one of the best pitchers in the history of baseball. He actually went 60 innings at one point in his life, 60 innings without giving up a single hit. Uh, guy was amazing. Uh, in the 1988 World Series, the camera kept panning on him. He's out there pitching on the mound, but in the dugout, he's sitting there with his eyes closed, and he's doing some things, and they're thinking, why, while everyone's all hyped up in the middle of this World Series game, how can he be so settled down over there in the dugout? And the camera kept panning in on him, trying to figure out what it was. But later on, he explained it. He was on Johnny Carson. And they asked, what were you doing? They showed the picture of him rifling these 100-mile-an-hour balls, striking everybody out, and then in the dugout, in the most heightened highlight point of his career, just eyes closed, head back. Johnny Carson's like, what, what were you doing? We don't understand what you were doing. And he says that he was praying and singing hymns. He says that praying in the dugout helped him stay focused during the game. That as he was able to, in this highlight of his career, stay and abide, essentially, abide in the true vine, stay in this place, that when he got out on the mound, he was able to rifle these 100-mile-an-hour balls and strike everybody out. That's pretty productive, isn't it? He's an employee, too, maybe for Major League Baseball, but an employee, no matter who you are, a spouse, a friend, a servant of God, an employee, all of the above. If we abide, we can be far more productive that was a perfect snapshot of a guy who was really staying really in the presence of God no matter what. And as a result, we see the fruit of his life. The third point this morning is that living in the zone is living in his presence. You can't separate them, guys. Living in the zone, that sweet spot we're talking about, that place where you can have abundant life flow out of you, living in the zone is living in the presence of God. They're synonymous 
You can't separate them. And uh, I would suggest that's something we need to be aiming at too. Uh, when you get up in the morning, rather than run out the door and try to be in his presence, start in the morning and say, God, I want to walk with you today. I want to walk with you. I want to be in your presence, and I don't want to be away from it. No matter how busy or crazy it gets, just like that baseball game, you can, in fact, still remain and abide in him. And um, verse 5, he moves on. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Basically, what he's saying here from the beginning is this. Plants, they have a design. By their very nature, they have a design. And each part of the plant does its own role. He wants it to be clear to you, to me, to the apostles back then, to everyone, that he is the vine. We are the branches. And I think when we understand this, it helps clarify some things, maybe get rid of some confusion in our life. Um, The reality is that a branch, by definition, gets all, all, all of its life support from the vine. The branch, by definition, is not capable of gleaning any life on its own. All is as a result of being in the vine. And apart from the vine, we can do nothing. If you take a branch and you cut it off, no matter how hard you try, it's not going to produce fruit. It needs to be attached to the vine. That's what he's trying to tell us. And one thing we need to come to terms with, life can be really frustrating, guys, if you and I are a branch, but we're trying to be a vine. Life can be really frustrating if you and I are trying to produce some sort of fruit in our life, trying really, really, really hard to develop some sort of outcome in our life, but we're not the vine. We're the branch. And when you realize that, you realize who's responsible for that, and you realize what our role is. And the problem is, I think there are some branches that are trying to function as a vine, and it's a pretty frustrating way to live life. Because as a branch, you can't simply produce the fruit on your own. You and I were never called to be a vine. We're called to be a branch in this picture of God's assembly and God's order here. And so that's really, really important. I think we need to come to terms with that. Everybody say, it's not my job. It's not not your job to be a vine. Your job is to be a branch. A lot of people use it's not my job in the wrong way when they're on the job and go, that's not my job. But in the kingdom of God, being a vine is not your job. It never was your job. Your job is not to produce fruit. Your job is to be a conduit for the living God to do that. Um, Many people have tried to craft this relationship in in greater detail. The vine, the branches, what it looks like, the relationship. Um, Here's a great quote. Uh, Think about the job of a branch. All it does is be an extension of the vine. It doesn't have to produce life. It just receives life from the vine. It doesn't have to decide what kind of fruit to produce. As the life of the vine flows through it, it just naturally produces the fruit consistent with what the vine is. The life is in the vine. The vine does it all. The vine extends its roots into the soil and draws. It is impossible for a branch to function as a vine. The branch does not have life in itself. It is totally dependent on the vine for its life and productivity. The great mistake we make is to try to be the vine when all we have to do is be a branch. The moral of the story, just be a branch. That's all. Just, just be a branch. Um, fourth point this morning is to, to recognize 
when it comes to fruit, I am not a producer. I'm only a distributor. I am not a producer. God never designed you to create and produce fruit because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So by definition and by design, you and I don't produce fruit. He does things through us, but we are a distributor. You and I get to be a distributor on behalf of the Most High God. And that is what people want to see. That's what we want. We want the evidence of God flowing out of our lives. We want the fruit. We want the manifestation of the abundant life of being in Christ to flow out of us, but we don't create it. We don't produce it, but we do distribute it. And I think it's helpful because when you, when you understand that, it's kind of a relief, really. It's really a relief because a lot of people think they just got to try a little harder. And if I just tried a little harder, maybe I'd produce more fruit in my life. And it can be very frustrating to go through life thinking that trying harder somehow harder and harder and harder is finally going to have the kind of harvest I want. And the Lord's saying, slow down. (laughs) You're the branch. You're not the vine. Just walk with me. Just stay with me. Just remain with me. And all these things will be a natural outflow. It's, It's a beautiful snapshot, but it's a total paradigm shift when you get this. Again, as a newer believer, this changed my whole worldview, if you will, on the kingdom of God and and what it means to bear fruit and what it takes to do it. What does it take to be in the zone? What does it take to stay there? The secret of the vine explains all of it. He also talks about how to abide. And in this passage, he says this. He goes, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, this is how you do it. This is how stuff flows out of your life. It's interesting that Jesus puts himself and the word together. He doesn't separate them. We sometimes separate them or make the mistake. He puts them together. And it's sad. There are, in fact, denominations today in the Christian faith that have separated the resurrected Jesus from his word. It's really sad. You cannot, by definition, separate Jesus from the word. In fact, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus walked among us. He's the word, right? And Jesus is turning around and saying right here uh, that if you're in me and my word is in you, then you're abiding. He is putting himself and the word together. And I think he's doing that because this is in fact the word of God. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And all scripture is spirit breathed. God knows that. There's some denominations that have forgotten that, but God knows that. The Bible says in the end times there will be a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. There'll be a form of religion but not recognize the authority and the power. Folks, there is so much power and authority in the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is not just some book. It, yes, it's historical and yes, it's you know 66 authors on four different continents over 1,500 years it was written but it is the Spirit of God. It's all Spirit breathed. And Jesus is saying if you're abiding in me and this is in you, then watch out what happens. Talk about fruit. This is a profound part of it. And so I would suggest to you that staying in the zone is staying in the word. Did you know that? You can't be in the zone and bear fruit if you're not in the word. That's what Jesus is saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you're in me and my word is in you, then this stuff's going to flow out of your life. And I know we all want that. So our fifth point this morning is to stay in the zone I need to stay in the word. I mean, we have to by definition. I don't know what priority the word has in your life. Many of us, if you love the Lord, you believe it's the Bible. This is a Bible teaching church. And uh, if we get in the word, the word will get in us. 
And when you have the word of God richly dwelling in you, as scripture outlines, there is something profound about the life that comes out of you. If we don't have the word of God in us, it's like being in a desert and there's not a lot of life coming out. I know sometimes we don't think of it that way, but Jesus is explaining it. If you want the fruit in your life, abide in me and let this word abide in you and watch what happens. It's really, really important. He says uh, in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's a lot going on here. We could look at this over a series of weeks, but I just want to give a summary. He says, if you remain in my word, my love, and my commands, if you do these things, he says there's going to be a lot of fruit, and he actually says what some of this fruit's going to be. Now, this is pretty profound. He says that there's going to be the fruit of answered prayer. If you are literally, you and I are literally in his word, in his love, and in his commands, then the level of answered prayer in your life is going to grow up dramatically. He promises it. Why is that? Why is there more answered prayer when we are in his word and his commands and his love? I think the reason that happens is because we pray completely differently. See, what we do when we're not in his word, his commands and his love, what we do is we tend to pray very self-centeredly. We pray with our understanding. Lord, I think I need this. I need this. You better hurry on this. And we have a wish list with God. That's what we do with our prayers. But when we're in his word, when we're in his love, and we're in his commands, he changes our whole disposition of our heart. We pray differently. We start praying for things about the kingdom of God. We start praying as the spirit of God leads us. We pray for things that God is encouraging us to pray for, and that is where it gets exciting because God wants us to pray for things that are according to his will, amen? If you ask anything according to my will... It'll be given to you. Sometimes we're asking things according to our will, and we're not even really sure what his will is, and we didn't really check in with him about his will. We're just asking for stuff. But if we pray and ask according to his will, it will be given. So the reality is if we're in his word, his commands, and his love, one of the fruits in our lives is answer prayer, radical stuff. The other fruit is the love of Jesus coming out of our lives that we cannot conjure up on our own, but it's an outflow And here's another profound one, not just the fruit of answered prayer and the love of Jesus, but the joy, the joy of Jesus. Now, we could go off on a whole other week on the joy, but I want to tell you, don't mistake joy for happiness. Happiness and joy are completely different things. In fact, the word joy or rejoicing in the Bible comes up 330 times in the Bible, where happiness only comes up 26 times. The Bible's not so much concerned about the happiness, but is in a big way concerned about your joy. And they're completely different things. Happiness is based on things happening around you. And if you can control everything about your environment and everything happening around you, then maybe, maybe you can stay in a place of happiness for a while. Joy, on the other hand, is completely different. Joy is the outflow of God's presence in your life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's what God's doing on the inside. And the great thing about joy, the fruit of joy in your life, joy is something that... No matter what the situation is, you can have joy. 
Paul and Silas are in prison and they have joy and they're praising God. Jesus is telling us about joy right here. The night that he gets arrested. He knows what's about to come in just a few hours, guys, in this passage. Telling us about the vine, one of his last profound stories to say, I'm going to be leaving soon, but guys, understand this. It's a key to the kingdom of God. If you want to bear fruit in your life, don't just try harder. Abide. Don't be the vine. Be the branch. Stay with me. Walk with me. Stuff's going to flow out of your life. You will be in the zone. You will be in the sweet spot. There will be answered prayer. The love will flow out of you. Joy in your life will flow out of you. And this, guys, is really, really important. It's not trying harder. It's remaining. It's abiding. The heart of the Father is that you bear much fruit. It says that's the Father's desire. Not just, not just to bear some fruit, but to bear much fruit. And so... Knowing that the father who's the gardener wants you and I to bear much fruit, I don't know what's going on in your life right now where you're like, yeah, that area right there, I really need some more fruit or I really desire more fruit in this area. Or maybe you're being pruned in an area that you don't really understand why things are the way they are in this season. Maybe things are lacking in fruit. But I want to encourage you, our prayer team is going to come up here and our prayer team is going to pray for you. Uh, Be bold and take that step and say, you know what? I'm really asking God for more fruit in this area or how to abide better or whatever is on your heart because God is doing some radical things around here through prayer and I don't want any of you guys to miss out on that opportunity. It's really, really good stuff. So in closing, if you're in a time of your life that's not so joyful, maybe you need to get a little better connected to the vine. That's what the passage would tell us. The closer you are to the vine, the more the joy will be the outflow. You're not going to be able to stop joy when you're abiding. But when we get a little disconnected, the joy tends to go away. I don't know how well-connected you are this morning or how well-connected you sense you are to the true vine, but I do want to encourage you, abiding is the key. Remain, abide. If you guys hold on to that word and you make it your mission to pray through the week and through the month, Lord, show me. If that's the sweet spot, if that's the zone, I want to be there. I want to stay there. I don't want to get ahead of you or behind you. I want to stay there. Because guys, this is the kind of fruit that the world can't deny. When the world sees that kind of fruit in your life, they're like, that's the real thing. And they'll know it's not you, that it's Jesus in you, and it's the outflow of his life. And it's, it's just good stuff. So um, we're going to close in prayer. And uh, mighty God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. And I know you're asking us, Lord, you want us to bear good fruit, but you don't want us to try to create it. You don't want us to try harder to make it happen. You want us to maybe just surrender a little more and and stay with you, to remain with you, to walk with you, to not get too far ahead of you or too far behind you, but to walk with you and talk with you and commune with you through our day, start our day with you, walk with you through the day so that we can in fact bear fruit in every good work that we do. Show us how to walk in your presence. Show us how to remain in your word. But Lord, we ask as a people, as a church today, that these things would be outflows of our lives, Lord. And that if we would abide in you and learn how to do it, Lord, our life will never be the same. It would be a paradigm shift in our faith. It'd be profound and it'd be beautiful and it'd be miraculous. So Lord, I just pray as you're just encouraging any hearts today that might not want prayer, that they that may want prayer, that they'd in fact just come up and say, God, here's my burden, here's my struggle, here's my need. I want to be honest with you, God. Your word says when two or more are gathered in your name, you're present. Lord, we want to ask some things according to your will, and we want to ask you to answer some prayers because they're according to your will. I thank you for that today, Lord.
also want to pray today, if any, Lord, maybe know about you, have a respect for you, but never stepped over the line, can never look back at a date in history where we said, you know what, that was the day I held up the white flag. I didn't just acknowledge the fact that Jesus came, but I said, I surrender, and I want to put you on the throne of my life, and I want you to be Lord, and I'm getting myself off, that today would be the the day of new beginnings, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. If there's anyone here today who, who says it is time for a new beginning or to rededicate to you, would you just look up? I want to agree with you in prayer and just agree that God would do a new work in your life. Amen. Is there anybody else who, who wants that fresh start? Amen. Anybody else who is going to start new? Amen. The Lord sees you this morning and the Lord honors your heart and recognizes that. And Lord, for those who are saying, yes, I want that start, I want that beginning, that, Lord, they would even be saying in the privacy of their own heart, Lord, that I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. Would you take my stuff away, Lord? Just take that, all that past. Would you take it away? Take it away. Give me a fresh slate. Put your spirit in me. Help me to be in your word so that I can abide in you, Lord. Show me, Lord, how to walk closer to you. Lead me and guide me. I'm not looking back anymore. I'm looking ahead. You say, behold, I make all things new. And he who is in Christ is a new creation. She who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has begun. Lord, I just pray for new beginnings for those today who said, yes, I want that fresh start, that you would just light them up in a way that is just beautiful, that is recognizable, and that there'd be a new level of fruit in their life that's undeniable. I thank you for that. And Lord, just show us how to ask, seek, and knock for these things. Lord God, show us how to represent you well. I pray you'd answer some prayers in some profound ways today. And I thank you in advance for what you're about to do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.